It went quiet. You guys are ready. Well, just before we kick in, I've just got a few announcements. Um, so there's, uh, there's a few jobs going uh, at our church. <laughs> so uh, as, if you were here last week, we um, celebrated uh, Sean. He, he's been working. He's not just in the leadership team and, and, uh, and not just a, a fantastic volunteer, but he's also been on staff here for around seven years. So last, so he's uh, just taken a full-time role at the council doing project management. So, that's, uh, so we celebrated him last week, uh, but it means we'll be looking for someone in admin uh, as well, and we're going to, there's, there's lots, we're, we're advertising a next-gen role at the moment, which I think, like today, tomorrow is, is the cut-off for that, although now, um, maybe we'll put it all back on the table and figure out what we're doing, um, so pray for us, pray for wisdom, and in fact, we'll do that in a moment, we'll pray, pray for the church, and, uh, and if you feel prompted to come and speak to me, come do that. Next week, uh, when school goes back, it kind of launches the beginning of the year, right? Most of us are kind of like holding on to holidays. Uh, I know if you don't have kids, it's still kind of the case culturally. Uh, but next week, school goes back, so we'll pray for them in a moment as well. Um, and we, our deeper service, which is our prayer and our worship service, we're going to start that on the first Sunday of each month now because uh, that suits schedules. So uh, that's going to be next week. So that's a beautiful way for us to launch into the new year. Uh, with prayer and with worship. So that's 6 p.m. We're going to shift it to 6 p.m. on uh, the first Sunday of each month is the goal. So that'll be next week. Uh, and as, also as we pray, um, I just found out this week that a couple of our regulars, Joanna and Arthur, where are you? They're behind, uh, hello. Uh, yeah, you guys, uh, this is your last Sunday? Yeah, so um, you guys are moving south. Um, and so can we pray for you? Um, do, you mind, do you mind coming up here? Is there anyone from the leadership team here who can come and come and help us pray? Um, I was going to throw my wife in the deep end, but she's got her hands full. Um, yeah, just maybe just just come down here. That that'll be easier. Um, I'm the only one mic'd, so I'll pray. <laughs> but uh, no, we just I don't know how long you guys have been here for, but you've been here as long as I've been here, two and a half years. So good, so good. Why don't you turn around and face everyone, and if you feel comfortable, just, again, just go ahead and pray with us, and uh, we just want to pray a blessing over these guys as they move. And so, Father God, we just thank you for Arthur, we thank you for Joanna, we just thank you for who they are, for how you've gifted them, for how you've shaped them, for their lives, for, uh, for them being a part of our family here for the last two and a half years. And so, Lord, we just pray a blessing over them as they go, as they move south, as, uh, you know, to be closer to family, I'm sure. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll bless them. I pray that, that everything they put their hand to, that your favor will be upon them because they know you, because they are yours. And, uh, and you, love, you love to spoil your kids. And uh, so, Lord, I just pray that, that everything will be a smooth transition for them. Uh, the traveling, the move, the everything will work. And uh, that's, that's our prayer. That is our request. And Lord, we just pray a blessing over them. And we pray that you'll bless them relationally as well as they move into a uh, new place. Get them, help them to get to know their neighbors and, uh, and continue to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to uh, wherever you take them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Does any, any of you guys want to yell out a prayer? Or are you good? Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. We'll, we'll, we'll have a coffee afterwards. Excellent.
So you guys, you've got to give them a hug later. And so let's just open in prayer, because like I said, we've got school going back, and, and uh, you know, just for God's guidance here, and over the offering, etc. So let's, let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for who you are. I just thank you that you are faithful. I love that little thing that our church does where we all have an opportunity to yell out something that we're grateful to you for. And faithfulness is always, is always at the top of the list. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, as we continue to worship together by reading the word together, Lord, I pray that you'll unpack it for us, that your spirit speak that you'll help me get out of your way, <laughs> that, you will, uh, that your words will speak. Um, and Lord, I just pray that as, as school goes back, I pray for every teacher, I pray for every parent, I pray for every carer, um, every staff member at schools. Lord, I pray a blessing over them. I pray that for the fruit of your spirit is patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. And so I pray that over all of those people in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with all the young people all the kids, all the high schoolers, as they head back. Lord, I pray that, that you will uh, rock up in their lives in a substantial way this year. That's my prayer. Uh, my, my prayer is, yeah, that they learn maths and they learn English and they learn geography and they learn all that good stuff too. But Lord, my prayer is that they encounter you this year. I pray through school or through other means, through church, through youth. Lord, I pray that they will all discover your grace, your kindness, your mercy towards them. And so I pray a blessing over all the young people as they head back to school. And I pray that uh, even though uh, they've been geeking out, watching screens all holidays, that you'll help them gear back up into what education looks like for them. So Lord, I pray a blessing over our schools in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over our church as well, over the offering that's been given, Lord, over the staffing. Uh, I keep on telling people, Lord, uh, you have a staffing problem because this is your church. Um, uh, so, <laughs> so, Lord, I pray that you will give us your guidance, that you will show us exactly what to do, exactly what pieces of puzzle to place on the table. Lord, show, show us what it should look like um, as, as we have the privilege of serving you in this place. So help us do it, Lord. We can't do it on our own. Uh, so help us do it, we ask in Jesus' name. And speak to us in your message. <laughs> Amen. Okay. There you go. So last week, we talked about King David. And actually, we actually started talking about before he was king, uh, but we talked about David. And the question that we were asking ourselves, which will kind of blur over into today, is... Uh, and someone said it earlier, brownie points for whoever that was. Um, the question we were asking was, why was David known as a man after God's own heart? Because that's, that's a prayer on my own life. I want to be known as a man after God's own heart. And so how do you do it? Uh, you know, give us the checkbox, please, Lord. Um, and that's actually the opposite of what it is to be a man after God's own heart, we discovered. And so we narrowed it down to these three points um, which I think will be on the screen in a moment. And that is to be a man after God's own heart is to love God and love his ways. And to summarize that, obey him. To love God's ways, to love the way he does things is to obey him. The second point is to have faith in God. In other words, trust him. Trust him. And the third one was when you get all that wrong, <laughs> repent quickly. Run back to him. 
He's, a, he's faithful and he always pursues us. It's so beautiful. And so David, he wasn't a man after God's own heart because he always got it right. He was a man after God's own heart because he repented quickly and he ran back to God. And that is a beautiful thing and that's what we learned last week. So this week, we're going to open the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to the book of Ruth. Uh, I'll have the, the scripture on the screen as well. We're going to start in chapter 1. Oh, we don't need it just yet. Um, chapter 1 in Ruth. Um, and as I was preparing this, excuse me, as I was preparing this, I realized actually today's message isn't so much about Ruth, but it's actually about Naomi. Okay, so today the Bibleography that we're going to do uh, is, is actually the story of Naomi, which of course Ruth is involved with. So, a little bit of background. Um, Ruth was alive. Uh, it's not a made-up story. She's a real story. And, uh, and she lived in the time of the judges. So this is before the kings, in the time of the judges. And so, when you read, hopefully judges and Ruth, are, they're kind of next to each other in their Bible. And so, just think, just to know that. And so, the, the period of history we're talking about is um, around 1300 to 1100 BC. Okay, she was about three generations before King David. Okay, so only a couple of generations before Israel actually appointed a king. So, uh, we're going to flick to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, and, uh, and let's just read a little bit about what we're talking about today. Okay, so in the days when the judges ruled... So there you go. Now you know it's in the time of the judges. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while. Other versions of the Bible use the word temporary or temporarily. I just want to highlight that. They went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The, man, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Killian. So there you go, parents, if you're looking to have kids, there's a few baby names there for you. Um, Marlon and Killian. Elimelech, that's, that's a bit of a mouthful, but I, I've actually known a Marlon, he was a nice guy. Uh, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. I looked up what Ephrathite meant, and basically it means they're from Bethlehem. Um, to make a long story short, which was in Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So let me ask you a question. Does that sound like wisdom to you? There's a famine in your land. So let's go to a place where there's no famine. Does that sound like wisdom? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. There was a famine in the land, so they moved to a neighboring country called Moab. And on the surface, that sounds like a good idea, right? But I wonder, here's my other question. I wonder if he prayed about it. Because it doesn't say God told them to go to Moab. It doesn't say that. It says he thought it was a good idea, so they went to Moab. And this is one of the themes we're going to talk about today, is that battle that we have between doing what we think is right and actually doing what God tells us to do.
What do we know about Moab? There's a map that we'll put on the screen. So Moab is, uh, is that one highlighted in pink there, uh, just on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And you'll see, if you can see it, on the opposite side, kind of just to the north a little, is Bethlehem and, Jude- and Jerusalem. So that helps you place it. So the interesting thing about Moab is they actually are family. They're descendants of the nation of Israel. Um, I don't know if you knew that. So the Moabites, they were actually descendants of a guy named Lot. You remember Lot? Abraham's nephew. He went and lived in a place called, anyone know? Extra brownie points. What was it? Sodom. He went and lived in Sodom. And uh, which is a name that we are still familiar with today. Uh, The place was so evil that God had decided to destroy it. And Lot and his family came out. His wife, who actually didn't really want to leave, she she loved it there for some reason. She turned around with, I assume, with some longing in her heart. And then she turned into a pillar of salt as the city was being destroyed. Uh, And so it was just Lot and his two daughters that, that, uh, that got out and escaped. And, uh, and so this, as the story goes, now I know we've got kids in here, so I'm just speaking slightly in code, but he kind of accidentally um, procreated with, uh, with his daughters, and one of their sons was named Moab. Okay, that, that's, this is where the family of the, the tribe of Moab came from. Moab literally means, he is of my father. Did you know that? This was all news to me while I was researching, so don't feel bad. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. That's, that's the history of Moab, but that's where the people of Moab came from. And um, now the land of Moab, oh, you can read all that yourself in Genesis 19, if you didn't understand my code. Um, Genesis 19 is where you find that story. So the Moabites, at this point in history, the Moabites worshipped many pagan gods, uh, the, the biggest of which was Chemosh. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but Chemosh. Um, I was going to put a picture of him. In fact, I think there is a picture. Just maybe flash it up briefly. He's a, he's a scary looking dude with horns. And, and um, he was actually known for, child, for desiring child sacrifice. So, yeah, take it off. Uh, <laughs> um, so, now we know a little bit about Moab. Do you still think it was a wise idea for them to go and live there? Um, makes you wonder. And so I still ask the question, uh, does that sound like wisdom? Do you think Elimelech prayed about that? I suspect that if he had, and God had told him to go, that it would say that in Ruth, in the, in the, in the, in the scriptures. But it doesn't. And for me, this highlights something. And the first lesson that I think we can learn from their story is that uh, this statement, don't follow worldly wisdom, but seek God's wisdom. Now, we all agreed, and I agreed, oh, there's a famine here, there's not one over there, let's move. Like, in the natural, there's a level that, that kind of makes sense, right? But like I said, my question remained, uh, if God, what was God's plan for them? We have a free will, and we actually uh, excel at using our free will. And uh, getting, becoming a Christian largely is about 
we've given him our lives. We call him now Lord. And if that's true, then we should ask him, especially when it comes to big things like moving your family. And we should do what he tells us to do. So to be a person after God's own heart, like I said, just to summarize, is to obey, to trust God. Now, what was God's plan? Well, it's an interesting, it actually comes out, I'm going to read it in a little bit. But God's plan, he actually provided for Israel. Elimelech and Naomi, they lived more than 10 years in the country of Moab. So maybe it wasn't as temporary as they were planning. But God actually provided for a decade plus for his land. But what we find here is Elimelech choosing to use his wisdom and move out from God's, where God was planning to provide. There's a biblical principle here that I just want to unpack a little bit for you. Um, This is my language, but I believe it's the biblical principle of covering. Is anyone familiar with that? Uh, The word covering, I'm actually getting from uh, Psalm 57, verse 1. It's that um, there's a beautiful chorus that um, was written by Hillsong many years ago in my childhood. I was actually playing it a little bit earlier. It was called The Shadow of Your Wings. Did anyone recognize it? Elliot, did you recognize it? Nah, 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 nah. It's all right. It's all right. Um, But Psalm 57.1 says, In the shadow of your wings I take my refuge. And this is a principle that you'll find all the way through scriptures, that the safest place to be is right there under God's wing. Does that make sense? When, when When you're obeying him and you're trusting him, you find yourself right there and he's, he's covering you. Now, it's, it's like an umbrella. I think there's a... Did I have a picture of, of something? No, I might, I might not have. But when we obey God and when we trust God, we remain under his wing. We remain under his covering. When we go our own way, it's the symbolically, just imagine you're under his wing. When you go your own way and use your own wisdom, especially if God's told you otherwise, uh, but sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's just like, he didn't say anything, so I'm just going to make my own choice. Um, but sometimes we step out from under the cover of his wing. And at the end of the day, every choice we have has, has um, outcomes, right? Good or bad. You know, you make the choice to follow God. Hopefully, there's good outcomes. That doesn't, it's not a formula. It doesn't mean that everything in your life will just go perfectly from now on. But there is a principle of his safer under the, under the wing of God, under his covering. So when, so he is faithful. And you know what? He does call us back. When, when we step out from under his covering, he does call us back. He does pursue us. Absolutely, and we're going to find that in Naomi's story. But there is always consequences to our choices. Now, uh, I'm just going to read this next bit. But don't hear me say, uh, well, no, let's just read the next bit and we'll go back. This is what Naomi believed. Actually, no, no, I should tell you this. Because um, I'm kind of summarizing some of the story because we can't, don't have too much time. But what happened was Naomi's husband passed away. We don't know why. And then not long after, both of her sons actually died as well. And we don't know why. We don't know the cause. And 
I'm not suggesting that if they, weren't, if they hadn't stayed in Israel that they wouldn't have died. Like, we don't know. There's so much about this we don't know. But I wonder if they had stayed, would, it, would the outcomes have been the same? And I imagine each of us ask those questions too. If I'd only made a different choice 20 years ago, I wonder what my life would have been like. We're, this is, we're, we're all, we all have to put up with the circumstances of our choices, right? Good and bad. And like I said, don't hear me reading into this. I, I'm not saying that if they had stayed, that the, the men wouldn't have died, because uh, that's not how life works. We all live in a, in a sinful, broken world. But let's have a look at what Naomi believed, because it actually writes there. When she rocked up back in town, so what happened is she, I'm just speeding forward a bit, but she actually decided to move back to Bethlehem. And she bumped into her old girlfriends, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's Naomi. How are you? Uh, and this is her response. And so you read it in verse 20 of chapter 1. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord, sorry, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. To help that make a little bit of sense, the word Naomi, the name Naomi, actually means pleasant and sweetness. There's a couple of different, that's what it means. It means pleasant. So she's like, don't call me sweetness. Don't call me pleasant. That's not how I'm feeling. Call me Mara. And it says it in the passage. Mara actually means bitterness. It means to be, she's feeling bitter. She, and it uses the word afflicted. Another version says uh, that the Lord has testified against me. The word afflicted, the word testified against. Naomi believed that God testified against her and even potentially caused what happened. This is a confronting thought, right? One that actually we can relate to. So many people today believe that either God hates them because of the circumstances of their lives or they in fact hate God because of the circumstances of their lives. Is this a familiar story? Yeah, I know so many people with this. Either God hates me or I hate God because of the circumstances of my life. And at core, this stems from a belief that God's in control uh, and he causes everything to happen, good and bad, okay? That's, that's, that's a belief. It's a very strong belief. It's actually a strong belief in the Christian church as well because God is sovereign. He controls every outcome. I know, I'm pushing buttons. Now, let me just say, uh, God is sovereign, absolutely, but I don't think he causes every, everything that happens. Because actually that's not what sovereign means. When you look up the definition of the word sovereign, uh, this is what it means. And I think I've got it um, on the screen for you as well. The word sovereign means uh, the sovereign is the one who exercises power 
without limitation. Can God exercise power without limitation? Absolutely. Absolutely he can. He is God. He can intervene in any situation at any point and do anything he wants. That's the God Almighty. He is sovereign. Another little point there is to be beyond the power of others to interfere. Is anyone else powerful enough to interfere with what God wants to do? No. There's no other force powerful enough to, you know, interrupt what God's doing. God is sovereign. He is beyond the power of others to interfere. He has power and authority to intervene in any situation. He can exercise his power without limitation. That does not suggest, though, that he causes every situation. A lot of people make that jump. Because God is sovereign, that means he makes all this bad stuff happen. So I'm not going to serve him. I hate him because he made something, someone die. Now, God can intervene. In, in, he can do anything. Absolutely. Apart from disobey his own character. Okay, he can't do something that opposes who he is. He's limited by his goodness and by his perfection. So he can intervene in everything, but that doesn't mean that everything that bad happens uh, is his causing. Because that's one of the biggest questions we have in life. Why does bad stuff happen? And we like to add, why does bad stuff happen to good people? With an assumption that because I've not killed anyone, I'm a good person. Ultimately, humanity has chosen to go our own way. Back with Adam and Eve and everyone since, we chose to go our own way. So the sin and the, and the evil that's in the world is here because we chose it, not because God chose it. God didn't choose it. I think if God had his way, we'd all still be living in the Garden of Eden, innocent, never having sinned. And that's, that was his created plan. And that's actually where we're going. That's what heaven can be defined as. God's way. People not sinning and living his way. But there's bad stuff in the world today actually because of our own choices. Now, getting back to this story. Oh, so before I do. So we talked about living as a man after God's own heart or woman is to obey him and to trust him, and when we get it wrong, run back to him. It's not a promise that we will never be affected by the brokenness of this world. The world is broken because we broke it with our choices, not because God did it. God doesn't promise that we'll never face heartache and suffering when we choose to follow him, when we choose to come back under his wing. But... He promises that he'll never leave us. He'll always be with us. He'll never forsake us. And that is, there is blessing in that. And so can I encourage you, if I'm reading your diary at the moment, if this is your story, I just want to encourage you, come back. Come back under his covering. What does that mean? Come back under and obey him and trust him. And when you get it wrong, run back to him quickly. 
Let that become your new life formula. God loves you. And he wants to keep you safe under his strong arm. Like I said, it's not a promise that nothing bad will ever happen. But it is a promise that he will always be with you. And for any of you who've been walking this Christian life for a while can testify to that. I know I've had some horrible stuff happen to me. A lot of them from my own choices. But man, it didn't feel so bad because I knew that God was with me. Mm. Well, it did feel bad. But it felt less bad. <laughs> Let's get back. Oh, so there you go. There's a picture. When we obey him and trust him, when we run back to him, we come back under his covering. And as I look at the story of Naomi, this is what I see her doing. I'm just going to pick it up, Ruth 1 verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab, so she was in Moab, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she heard in Moab that God had been providing for his people. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Naomi and Elimelech hadn't I don't think had obeyed God. It sounds like, if we, I know we're reading into it a little bit, but it sounds like God had a plan for provision for his people because that was always his promise. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, just stay with me and I'll look after you. But they had chosen to step out from under that covering. Would the bad stuff have happened? Would they still have died if they had stayed? I don't know. We don't know. We don't even know what they died from. But... Their principle, I think, is solid. They hadn't obeyed God. They hadn't trusted God. But Naomi did repent and came back. And there would have been a lot of shame. Coming back often feels very shameful. When she bumped into her girlfriends, she was like, no, call me bitter. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm bitter. But God had a redemptive plan for her. So let's just read... Uh, briefly about God's redemption. Now, I'm just going to skip through it a bit. We don't have time to read it all. But this is God's redemption plan. So uh, Orpah and Ruth, they're her daughter-in-laws, married her two sons. Uh, when they married these young Israelite boys, effectively, they turned away from their own country's ways. They turned away from their own gods and worshipped the gods of their, of their husbands. Likely, it doesn't say that, but that's normally what would happen. So they turned away from worshipping Chemosh into worshipping the God of Israel. Now, Naomi told both of her daughters-in-law, uh, don't come with me, go back to your parents. Go, they'll look after you. Go back to your families, go back to your gods. Uh, go ahead and go back. Orpah decided to go back. And uh, we don't hear about Orpah again in the Bible, but she decided to go back to her family. There was tears, there was hugs. It was beautiful. All right, but Ruth said, no, I'm going to come with you, Ruth. It's a beautiful moment. I'm going to come with you, Ruth. And this is what she says in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. 
Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. What a beautiful thing. And that's why Ruth is famous, really, from that, for that line, for that choice right then in that moment to stay with Naomi. Now, just briefly, I just want to highlight God has a welfare system. You know, we, we have a beautiful welfare system in Australia. We get well looked after. The government's fairly well set up. Back then, the governments weren't set up at all. Uh, but God's people, even though they didn't have a king yet, possibly because they didn't have a king yet, um, they had a beautiful welfare system because there were laws. They were governed by God's laws. Now, what we don't understand in today's day and age is what some of those laws were. Uh, and I'm not going to read them all to you, but um, uh, widows and the poor were given provision in God's nation. So Naomi and Ruth are both widows and they were both poor. But in God's law, this is one of the things. There was something called gleaning. Now, gleaning was uh, the guys or, or people who were doing the harvest legally had to leave some grain or some grapes, whatever they were harvesting, they had to leave some behind, legally. Because poor people were then allowed to come after them and pick up some food. In this case, it was grain. And, uh, as I read a little bit more about it, the outskirts of their fields, they weren't allowed to harvest. So they were largely, especially, you might remember when Jesus was walking down the road uh, and he allowed some of his disciples to pick some grain and eat it. That was actually a legal right. On the outskirts of their farms, they weren't to be harvested. They were to be left for people. So God's system was a beautiful system where people who were harvesting weren't actually allowed to harvest all of it. So Naomi was well in... Sorry, Ruth, sent by Naomi, was well within her rights legally uh, as a widow and as a poor person to actually come behind the harvesters and pick up some grain. And she gets the attention of Boaz and Boaz like, hey, leave a bit extra. Uh, and she was shown favour in, uh, in Boaz's field, and she didn't know who Boaz was. She went home, oh, and, Ru and Naomi was like, hey, where have you been today? And she was like, oh, I, I spent all day in the one field because they showed me a lot of favour. Oh, who was that? Boaz. Oh, my gosh, he's actually a relative. And uh, there's a little bit more to the redemption story here. Uh, there is this other law, uh, and it's called a kinsman redeemer. Uh, there was another word, a guardian redeemer. Uh, and what it is, quite simply, is if an Israelite... Actually, I'll read it. Leviticus 25, 25. If one of your fellow Israelites became poor and sells some of their property, the nearest relative to them is to come and redeem what they have sold. There's more to this story that we don't have time to unpack. Every 50 years, everyone in Israel would get all their land back. Um, it's, it was a, like it's totally the opposite of how we run uh, in the Western world today. But uh, every 50 years, everyone would get all their land back because their land was originally divided up fairly evenly. Um, and so if somebody, you're poor, you sell some of your land, someone from your family has a, a moral, legal even responsibility or right, I should say, to actually go and buy that field and restore your family's name. 
And that's what was happening. So Elimelech clearly owned some land. Naomi couldn't do anything with it. Uh, but Boaz, uh, and I won't tell the whole story. You can read it for yourself. There's only four chapters in Ruth. So go ahead. I encourage you to read it. Um, but uh, effectively, Naomi sends Ruth to... It was this weird little tradition where they laid at his feet. And what that meant was, I want to marry you. Yeah, don't try it at home. Um, so, but there was, she made it clear, hey, I would like you to redeem me. And so Boaz immediately chimed in. He was much older. We don't know how old he was, but he was older than Ruth. He felt quite privileged at the opportunity to be her redeemer. And so there was one closer relative. He went and cleared it with him. Yep, go for it. Because it wasn't just that he would buy their field. Because there was no uh, son to inherit this land, he also had a moral and legal obligation to marry Ruth and to provide a son. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, Boaz bought the field, married Ruth, and they had, they had children. It's a beautiful story of, of uh, God's redemption in their life. Uh, and we, and this is why Ruth is in the Bible, because of actually they had a son named Obed. I don't know if anyone's heard of Obed. I don't, he doesn't feature in the Bible very much. But Obed had a son named Jesse. Now it's chiming in. And Jesse had a son, he had actually had eight sons, but one of his sons' name was David. So Ruth is the great-grandmother of David. Naomi, the great-great-grandmother of King David. And of course, what we learned last, well, I don't think we talked about it very much last week, but... God made a covenant with David that the Messiah would come through their family line. It's a beautiful story of redemption. Ruth, who used to worship other gods, who had a quite unfortunate life, husband died, father-in-law died, brother-in-law died, everyone died and then they were poor and they moved to this land. And through God's redemption, even through God's law of redemption, they were saved and actually became a blessing to all of us. God's in the business of redemption. He loves, that is what he does. Especially when you call him Lord. Especially when you choose to obey and trust him. And when you stuff it up, repent and run back to him. Live your life right there under his wing. Because God is in the business of redemption. And that life is blessed. And when I say blessed, remember I don't mean, it doesn't mean it's devoid of suffering. It doesn't mean that nothing bad happens. But it does mean that God is with you and he will never forsake you and he blesses. He blesses his children. It is a blessed life. Not a perfect life, but a blessed one. Full of peace, confident that God is with us. Can I just invite the music team to come back up? It is a beautiful, blessed life. Let me just close in prayer. But I hope what you're hearing today is that even if you haven't obeyed God in your life, even if you haven't trusted, even if obeying God and trusting God is a new concept to you, you're invited to run to Him. 
or for some of us to run back to him. And when you're living his way, it's blessed and there is favour. And I know that's the story of my own life. Living God's way. I, I, I made lots of bad choices as a young man. Maybe one day I'll be brave enough to share them with you. But choosing to follow God's way has been a blessed. That doesn't mean nothing bad's ever happened. But it is blessed. And I appeal to you, if you need to come back to God today, I'd really encourage you to do that. And it really is between you and him. It is as simple as praying a prayer to come back to him and then actually living out that prayer. So let's pray together. And, uh, and if, you, if you need to do that, you do that as well. So Father God, I just thank you. You are a good, good God. You love us so well. If I was God, I don't think I would have done things the way you did it. I probably would have squished the earth like a bug and, and just moved on and made a new one. <laughs> but you are so faithful. You follow us into our dumb, sinful choices and you call us back. God, and then you choose to bless us. You choose to give us your very presence in your Holy Spirit. You choose to walk with us and help us make better choices from then on. This is what the Christian life is, is to simply choosing to walk with you and including you in all of our choices. And you're a good father. You're a good, faithful God. And we thank you. And Lord, I just pray, if there's anyone here who does need to run back to you today, that they will do that. That they will turn to you. That they will give you the brokenness of their choices, the brokenness of their lives as an offering. Because that's all you ask. You don't ask us to tidy ourselves up before we come back to you. You simply ask us to come back to you as we are. And so Lord, all of us, even those of, a, of us who have been following you for decades, Lord, we offer you who we are. Not pretending to be someone better than we are, but just take us as we are, Lord. So God, we thank you and we pray that you will show us from this day forward how to live your ways, how to live in obedience, how to trust you, and to remind us that you are so faithful that you'll always have us back. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to sing one song to finish off our service this morning. But if something that Matt has shared or something else during the service... Um